That's a big one, in my opinion. And I think that's where most companies need to get to as fast as possible. Welcome to another episode of the Startup Smoothie Podcast, where we blend together the best customer experience and operation strategies for startups. In today's episode, we're joined by Craig Stoss, the Director of CX Services at Partner Hero. Craig's extensive experience in the field of CX and AI has been invaluable to numerous organizations, and we are privileged to have him sit down and share his insights on the current landscape of AI and how to successfully incorporate it into your support strategy. But that's not all. We fed this entire transcript through ChatGPT, the language model trained by OpenAI. So they'll be providing insightful commentary and adding to the discussion. When asked for a human name, ChatGPT chose Max. So we'll be referring to them as such during this episode. Be sure to stick around. Customer is always right. It is a cutting edge high tech firm out of the Midwest. Explain business ethics and how they are applied today. That's a rough business to be in right now. <laughs> Cousin business is a boom. New technology permits us to do very exciting things. Craig, Max, you there? I am, yep. As an AI language model, I don't have a physical presence, but yes, I'm here and I'm ready to start the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Max. I am just so excited for this episode and to have you both here. Back in December, I was showing my oldest brother, ChatGPT, and the first thing he said was, do not show this to dad. And then in mid-February, I go to my dad's house, and it's all he can talk about. And he's showing me all these videos from various YouTube thought leaders and saying how we're all screwed. Eventually, I just had to end the conversation with him. So, guys... What's your opinion? Do you think AI is going to take all our jobs like my dad adamantly claims it is? Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope not. I don't think anytime in the near future we're going to see that occur. There are a lot of roles that will likely need to disappear or, or shrink or change in the market. But the doomsayers that are predicting en masse unemployment, I just don't see that being the case. I completely agree with Craig. While AI and automation will definitely change the job market, I don't think it will completely eliminate human jobs. Okay, thank you, Max. Um, what do you think about customer experience specifically, though? In CX, there's a few vital characteristics that I think is just lacking in AI today. First and foremost, in a world where there's a lot of misinformation and how easily it can spread, AI's AIs are bad at simulating confidence levels. Some of them do have like ratings. They say, well, I'm 80% thinking that this is correct. But in general, they produce the same response in the same tone every time. I asked ChatGPT, for example, the famous math and logic problem, bat and a ball cost a dollar and 10 cents together. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? And it made the same mistake that most humans make in logic and said 10 cents, which of course is logically flawed because if the ball is 10 cents and the bat is a dollar more, that would be the total of a dollar and 20 cents. And when I pointed out that that is wrong, it apologized to me, gave me a completely different answer. I forget the number it gave me, but with still wrong. And, and yet both of those were given to me in the same level of confidence. And that's a huge problem when it comes to helping people because people want the right answer and they want to know when they read something that it's the right answer. Oh no, Craig. 
It sounds like I let you down with my response to the bat and ball problem. As an AI language model, I am constantly learning and improving, but I still have limitations. I appreciate you bringing this to my attention, and I'll definitely work on improving my logic skills. <laughs> Max, you're doing okay, uh, but you are proving Craig's point about tone here. Yeah, I really appreciate the apology, Max, but confidence isn't my only concern with, with AI. In the CX world, empathy is a big thing. There is that famous situation that Facebook ran into a few years ago where their memories feature started sending memories about the death of a family member or a favorite pet or some other traumatic situation. And those types of events tend to have a lot of empathetic engagement from your friends. Obviously, that was because AI was trained to focus on engagement, which takes away the empathy. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. And there's all sorts of examples of this, that sentiment analysis is not an exact science. It's good and it works in most cases, but it's not an exact science. And I feel that even as humans, we're kind of confusing with the way we use all oh, that sick to be a good thing <laughs> sometime, you know? And so AI has a hard time with that. And empathy, as I'm sure you could appreciate, is extremely important in CX space. Totally agree. Empathy is a critical component of customer experience and I still have a long way to go to fully understand the emotional nuances of human interactions. Oh man, this bit is just, it, it's not gonna get old at all, is it? It totally is. Yeah, no, uh, actually sentiment is, it's, it's a big thing, I think. Even now, I can tell when somebody is using a cover letter that's written by ChatGBT, it's like pitchy and off tone and a little 1990s car salesman. I know there's training models to teach AI tone, but you still need a bit of technical and machine learning experience to know how to fine tune those things. People are definitely adopting it on these use cases right now, and it's, it's becoming more obvious. I don't know. Do you feel like you can tell when something's written by ChatGPT? In general, I think it's hard to tell. But there are definitely clues. Uh, I mean, chatbots are a really good example of this. When, when someone is legitimately typing to you, it feels very natural to the conversation. But then there are things like, I'm sure at the start of every chat conversation you have, there's that set phrase of, Hi, my name is Bob and I'm here to service you today. And it's like, you didn't type that. Like no one starts a conversation <laughs> with that a hundred times a day, right? right. And, and then of course, same near the end where it's like, Did I solve your problem? Can you fill out a survey? You know, those feel auto-generated. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. The repetitiveness of language in chatbots for me is vexing, especially when they have long intros. Amazon is probably the worst at this. Whenever I have a chat into their support, they start off with three paragraphs about how they're so sorry for the inconvenience. And then they go on to tell me how much they value me and that they're going to get to the bottom of my problem. And they're excited to look into this. And I'm just like, dude, can you pull up my order? I sound like a Karen. And sometimes I maybe am when it comes to chat bots. Oh, I hear you. As AI evolves, we'll need to work on fine-tuning the technology to make it feel less robotic and more human. Until then, we can still spot those telltale signs that make us feel like we're talking to a machine instead of a person. You know, I'm actually kind of impressed Max is doing an okay job at saying the same things over and over, but in different ways. How do you feel Max is doing, Craig? Do you think she would provide an adequate support experience at this point? 
yeah, Max is doing well. She's clearly understanding my words and able to add some level of insight. But as you point out, there's a lot of repetition. And so that's why for repetitive support, AI is very good. That's one thing that I love about some of the technology that ChatGPT is, is enabling in the space. It's almost what I would call dynamic macros, where they're taking responses to previous tickets in the support context and taking the context of the incoming tickets and munging them together to create this unique response that really is auto-generated like a macro, but it's rewritten every single time that there's a ticket. So it never sounds repetitive and it always sounds a little bit more natural. Does it sound perfectly human? Maybe not, but I think it's getting there. It's closer. Macros B2. That's amazing. I didn't yeah. know about that. That's, yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, and it leads nicely into when you talk about training it with tone and being able to tell if it's an AI into what I would say the third shortcoming of AI is today, which is it gets lost in, in the world because, you know, AI can solve all problems is the mantra we typically hear. But AI is only incredible at recognizing and aggregating data if it has been trained on the data and the patterns it needs to recognize. And most AIs today don't know anything. It learns from experience. There's a really great video on YouTube by a YouTuber named CGP Gray, and it's called How AIs Learn. And his example is the animal of a bee and the number three and how it learns to distinguish between those two things, how an AI can learn that. And then it asks interesting questions like, what if it's a wasp? Is that a bee? Or what if the three is backwards? Is that still a three? And it asks all these questions. And those are things that you have to train the AI. It doesn't know that. Max, is a backwards three still a three? A backwards three is still considered a three. While it may look a little different, it still represents the same numerical value as a regular three. Oh, wait, I don't think this works if we tell Max it's a three. Of course, she's going to say it's a three. I guess we would actually have to show her a backwards three and ask her if it was a three. Sorry, Craig, I got a little silly there. So what would you say is the role that humans play in all of this? In short, AIs have to be trained. We are always inventing different failure modes. We're inventing new errors, new edge cases, the new features that fail in different ways. So if we're talking in that customer experience, customer support mindset, someone, and probably a human, is going to have to recognize and resolve those things in a way that AI can be trained in the future to help resolve them later. I mean... If we're talking about AI, right, we're basically talking about statistical analysis, but it's it's not intelligence, but really just powerful statistical analysis, right? I feel like when we say AI, at least in tech, I think we're all kind of referring to machine learning. But in the media, and maybe non-tech people, I feel like they're using it in terms of general intelligence, when in reality, we're not even really close to that. We're probably hundreds of years away from that. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the media is just doing what it does, and, and it's scaring people, I guess. Yeah, well, and it gets exaggerated. Because I do see a world where AI can seem intelligent, it can seem insightful. I compared this with a, another CX leader in a conversation recently where I said, ChatGPT acts like one of those consultants that you see sometimes who are really good at saying a lot of words that sound really interesting and sound really insightful. But if you really sit down and think about it, they're more like a horoscope. You know, they're applicable to every situation. And I find that ChatGPT is sometimes closer to that in the generic sense than it is in the in pure intelligence. And so 
really what we're talking about machine learning is absolutely part of it natural language processing is absolutely part of it but we we really need to take those technologies and apply them to have a much more informed conversation precisely it only works if all the little cogs mesh together I was talking with a software company today who was telling me about how they're training it to have different tones, how they have brand voice and brand language inside support responses. And I think that that's brilliant, right? It, but it's very specific and every brand will have to train it for every implementation it makes. It's not something that's generically intelligent and you say, oh, I'll apply it to Coca-Cola and I will immediately learn Coca-Cola's brand voice versus I'll apply it to Salesforce versus I'll apply it to, to smooth it, right? It's, it's not going to be an automatic thing. And that's, what's important here is AI can solve a lot of problems, but to your exact point, I wouldn't call it intelligence. I would call it knowledge. I like your comparison to statistical analysis. I think that's absolutely true. Ironically, I think that that's an, an element that that might be replaced when we talk about jobs being lost is that AI is going to get very good at the statistical analysis because it can run millions of models over trillions of data points and come out with the one or two things that are relevant certainly much faster than a human could. I think you're going to need people to analyze that data in the post efforts, but the actual statistical analysis piece, I think, will be automated. I agree, Craig. In all seriousness, I do think it's important to remember that AI is not a silver bullet solution to all our problems. It can certainly help us process and analyze large amounts of data much more efficiently, but we will still need human expertise and creativity. I like what you said there, Craig, and I also agree with you. But at the same time, you in some ways proved my father's point. Um, he's a mortgage broker, by the way. My entire family is in the mortgage business. And when I was talking to him, I was like, Dad, you're a salesman. You're not going to get replaced. And he was like, you don't understand. They're going to be able to look at every sales call ever made and know exactly what to say and exactly what situation. And I'm not going to be able to compete with these machines. AI. Artificial intelligence. A singular consciousness that spawned an entire race of machines. Anyways, I do think it's a good time to probably wrap up this chat GPT bit. I don't know if I want to keep doing this for the entire episode, but I do want to go ahead and tell Max that she can log off for the day and her time was appreciated. Thanks for hanging out with us. It has been fun. I am delighted to say that it was an enjoyable experience to have this conversation with both of you on the Startup Smoothie podcast. Thank you for inviting me as a guest. Thanks, Max. I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. All right. Now that Max is no longer around, my cortisol levels are starting to decrease. The relief was, as Americans say, freaking awesome. Anyways, Craig, I want to just take a moment and say that I really applaud your team at Partner Hero because I think you guys do such a fantastic job at actually embedding yourselves into the organizations in which you support. And I would even say in this space, you're one of the very few companies that does really well in delivering on all the aspects that encompass customer experience. But tell us, what's new at Partner Hero these days? What are you working on? Yeah, so currently my role is Director of CX Services and Partner Hero fits into that BPO outsourcing category. But where I think that we really stand out is in even just my role existing is the sense that we are we don't think about 
it's outsourcing is a butts and seats type concept. We partner with everyone, the partner and partner hero, to really understand the entirety of their CX journey. And so that certainly will include support agents or other types of, of people doing tasks. But my job is to come in in the tools and process consultancy bit to make sure that your tools are set up for success, to make sure you're using the right tools and to help guide people in these strategies such as AI or voice of customer. And so we offer those services as part of our packages to help all of our clients provide those high level customer experiences. And so I really think about this a lot because I deal with our 200 plus partners every day and really want to see all the things they're doing, the questions they have and how our team can help them succeed. And that's why I'm so passionate about this particular space, because obviously it's top of mind for CX leaders right now. Oh, absolutely. I can't think of anything more top of mind than AI right now. It's everywhere. As our expert AI consultant, Craig, advise us, how can CX leaders begin to leverage AI to enhance the customer experience within their organizations? You have to see AI as additive today. By additive, I mean there has to be a human component to this. It is not a replacement for a CX team. For example, ask yourself, what does your support team need to be more effective versus how can I deflect ticket volume to reduce the amount of staff I have? Because that's where everyone starts. Everyone seems to start with AI is going to deflect tickets, which means less people, which means more profit. It's not about money. No, it's not about money. Well, for me, it's a little bit about money. That is a bad place to start. So think about where your staff has a gap, something that they can be made more effective at doing. And in most cases, I would say that starts with context and more information faster. Zendesk just released their CX trends of 2023. I just read it earlier this week. And there was a trend in there that said 59% of customers want data to be used to personalize their support experiences. And I, I can't believe the number is actually that low. Is that a joke? Tell me, you're joking. A, we're so used to data being used to personalize selling stuff to us. You know, Facebook ads, Twitter, all this stuff is used to kind of manipulate us to do and see content that we may or may not want. I would say that putting this to use to actually help us in support experiences is a more useful use case to the average human being. Yeah, I have to assume that Zendesk phrased that question to the people they surveyed in a different way because I, I am actually shocked. When I contact support, I definitely want them to have all the, you know, the background information on my account or even me. Yeah, and, but I think that's the trend, right? And customer with a K, which is a, a ticket management tool, they did a, a survey that said that 84% of CX leaders think that personalization will be more important in the next three years. So that's a great place to start, in my opinion. If your team can be more effective by having better data given to them about the individual calling, the company that that person works for, if you're B2C, maybe about the situation they're in, uh, so event tracking or information about what they clicked on, it's just so much more powerful. We've all probably experienced a chatbot where we answered a whole bunch of questions, filled in a whole bunch of things, not got the answer, and then said, send me to a human and they ask you the same questions. Yeah. And it's it's such a frustrating experience. That data is there. It's in the chatbot. Send it over to your support agents and then prepare them to have a much more informed conversation. Don't tell me, don't tell me, let me guess. But there might be other gaps that your team has. Maybe your gap is in data and you just want to understand trends in data and use your ticket data to find out what your customers are telling you or into some cases, what they're not telling you. Trends that pop up about areas of products that can be improved or services that are lacking. 
One of my favorite splits of data that I recommend to almost any company I consult with is this idea of if you segment your customers into new, and depending on your product and service, new might be a day, a week, a month, a year versus lengthier customers. And again, the, the time frame might differ depending on what you're selling. But if you segment them out into those two categories and do an assessment of the types of tickets they get, are they different? Because I would argue that if they are distinct, that means there's something wrong with one or the other type of service you're providing. For example, if the questions coming from your newer customers are really basic type questions, maybe your onboarding isn't great. Maybe your product isn't user-friendly. Same thing with your lengthier customers. If they're having a different sets of problems, maybe you can provide better guidance to the product for the more advanced use cases. There are certainly ways that you can improve that experience on both sets of segments, but without no those differences, it's very hard to do. And so AI can help you do that. If you tell the AI, these are the different types of customers I have and sort through all that data, it can give you those trends. I 100% agree. User segmentation is huge and not enough companies utilize it. How does a CX professional begin to build a strategy involving AI though? I think to effectively integrate AI into your strategy, there's really three levels. And some of you listening might be in one of those three already, or you might be before those three even start. The first I would call is ticket enhancement. Strategy level one. Which is about the context that I just talked about in the last, the last response. The idea here is to personalize support. Stop asking questions that you have the data for somewhere in your system. Use integrations. Zendesk has the Sunshine API, which is fantastic at building customer profiles and event profiles. Other systems like Freshdesk and Gorgeous and all of these ticket tools have different ways of integrating data into your system so that you don't have to leave Zendesk and have the information right at hand. That saves search time, so it's faster for your agents to answer tickets, but it also helps them have much more intelligent conversations faster. These tools are available. Often they're cheap or free, and you can get more context in your tools as fast as possible. The next is ticket deflection. Strategy level two. This is the idea that most people are familiar with. Automate the deflection of a certain type of ticket. This can be done through your knowledge base. This is where you might see chatbots coming in or into a widgets that you might use to pop up messages to say, hey, here's a way to solve this problem. Some issues are repeatable and can be in some cases without human touch deflected. Or alternatively, that human touch can be fast and easily accessible. There are tools on the market such as Codif, which is a great tool that allows you to simplify workflows using the context you built in the first stage to deflect a ticket in one click or even automate it through your AI. That's a big one, in my opinion. And I think that's where most companies need to get to as fast as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I would say nine out of 10 companies that I've gone into have no sort of integration into their admin or payment processor within their Zendesk account. There's a lot of tab switching going on for agents. The goal should be keeping everybody within your ticket CRM. Ideally, we want AI to automate or deflect the low-level, easy, one-touch tickets and keep knowledge-based workers on judgment-based work. But if that information is not there and they're toggling between all these different platforms, it's, it's just not an effective way to work. 
it's insane to me how many companies still utilize their Zendesk accounts essentially like advanced Gmail accounts, just in that they're using this somewhat expensive CRM just so that they can tell who said what and where. I mean, I tend to work with very early stage startups, but several companies I go into and they say, well, we try to respond to all of our customers within 12 hours. And it's like, well, let's go ahead and make that official by activating the SLAs in your Zendesk account so we can start tracking that. You know, maybe this is a little bit off topic, so uh, we can move on to your next point. No, very, very relevant, because I think that's what I meant by saying the companies need to start by assessing where they are in this kind of model to be able to determine what they need to look at next. So I think it's very relevant. I think the final stage of, of AI within a business is ticket avoidance. Strategy level three. And this is preventing the issue from ever occurring. And this is where AI, it's getting there. It's close. There are tools on the market that do this, but it's it could be time consuming and costly to make this work. But the idea here is insights and reporting on trends are the next step in AI. Some issues are avoidable. And if we see customer frustration, whether that's a human hearing it or an AI understanding sentiment, we should be trying to prevent it. Tools that aggregate all of this data that comes in, and it doesn't have to be just your tickets. It could be your tickets plus maybe understanding how you escalate into other tools like Jira, or it could be understanding usage patterns using a tool like Pendo or something that measures clicks within an application, IoT that tracks clicks within the physical devices that you're using. AI can take all of that and process and understand trends and give you deep analytics in insights. AI is really helpful in each of these three steps in different ways. There are tools that handle all three steps that I just talked about. The Loops is one of them. I know you attended a, a talk I did with them recently, but there's other tools that handle one or two, like Code, if I mentioned, Forethought, Idiomatic, Sentisum. These are all tools that utilize AI to provide some value within the chain of those three stages that I like to help consult with my, uh, my clients on. I think getting the data is so important, though, because part of the job as a CX leader within any organization is fighting to prove impact to demonstrate that certain things need to be built into the product to decrease the user frustration that's that's occurring and leading to higher ticket volume. But if you get the data, it's a little bit easier to prove impact. But you can't do much by just saying, we're getting a lot of tickets about uh, you know XYZ. Nobody, nobody wants that. They want a, they want a number. Yep. <laughs> you know, I hate doing the cost per ticket metric. I feel that it can drive the idea that support is a cost center. But unfortunately, with product teams, you do have to add that cost per ticket metric in yep. order to demonstrate how impactful an implementation would be. Yep. There's there's actually a tool called Operative Intelligence that does just that. It, it allows you to input the salaries of the reps or an average of the salaries of your agents. And then by ticket type, it will tell you how much money you spent on those issues. So it uses average handle time, ticket type, and then people's salaries to give you an exact, a quote unquote, exact number of how much you spent on a type of ticket. And you can give that information, obviously, to your development team. That's another AI tool that does parts of, I would say, all three of the, the stages. That's huge. What was that product name again? Operative Intelligence. Operative Intelligence. Shout out to Operative Intelligence. Uh, you mentioned the webinar with Samya. 
I did. I, I did attend that. I thought it was great. I love what you said during the 3Ts webinar about how support used to be needing someone to answer a phone and now it's all about data. I love that statement for a couple of reasons because I think sometimes the role as a CX professional is still not highly regarded, which for me as someone who is passionate about customer experience, it's it's a bit of a bummer. You know that feeling of introducing yourself to someone new and telling them that you work in customer experience and immediately, maybe I'm just self-conscious of how I'm perceived, but immediately I get this feeling that they think I'm answering phones at T-Mobile or giving out password resets all day when in reality, this work can be very challenging and very technical. And there's a lot of different elements that go into the work and executing things within the organization effectively. How do you think this shift towards data-driven support has impacted the skills and knowledge required for CX professionals. The shift to the data-driven support model has already started to impact CX when it comes to skills and knowledge. You referenced that comment about someone answering the phone used to be the expectation. And when that was the only expectation, it was pretty easy to succeed. Back in 2001, if I worked for a database company doing support, if I didn't know that answer, it was so easy to say, give me an hour or two and I'll call you back. And that rarely caused any sort of problem. It was almost expected that you wouldn't know the answer because this was a technical product. There was a lot to know. And of course, even back then, the internet wasn't as large and full of information as it is today. So it was kind of understood that you would take some time to solve this problem. Well, it's called the internet and it's completely revolutionized the way we live and access vital information. Now that expectation has increased, we, we can solve those issues in one call. Customers are now becoming frustrated when the support agent is following a script in response or triaging that doesn't make sense or doesn't even have the ability to provide contextual support. So the perception of support professionals has already changed and I, I do see that continuing. We need to focus more on critical thinking and we have to also, especially with the use of AI, start to understand what does the guidance AI gives us mean? Does, is it just blindly accept what the AI says or do we have to apply a critical layer, a human layer to that? And then talk about the persona and the role and how is it going to change? I think hiring and support has always been an interesting thing for me. I've, I've been in very technical roles. I've been in more customer service type roles that the product is relatively simple, but you still want to have that friendly face. So you get this type of support rep that goes from super technical people that can communicate with customers to some having to be industry experts. And then there's other types of support is, or at least customer service where you just really need to be a smiling face who knows what the rules are, you know, and, mm -hmm. and those are the things that are interesting in support, but all of them have some level of customer experience skills. And I would argue that if AI fulfills the promises of doing the research part of a job for you, so understanding the industry, understanding the technical nature of the problem, doing that pattern recognition data analysis for you, then the softer skills become much more important to focus on because the human element is now that differentiator. And that is the difference I would see happening. And it, it already is to some degree happening. But you need to focus on those soft skills and then train the pieces of the product and service afterwards. Yeah, the evolving nature of support is becoming increasingly apparent, especially with the importance of soft skills like critical thinking now being a top priority for companies. However, 
I'm interested to know your thoughts on effective methods that companies can use to evaluate these types of skills during the hiring process. So you mentioned earlier in the conversation about cover letters, and I had just was participating in a, in a thread on LinkedIn that talked about cover letters becoming less relevant because anyone can generate them using AI. And I said, that's really sad because I would argue the cover letter for me is probably more important than the resume because that's where you get the chance to describe transferable skills. That's where you get the chance to describe your passion. I'm almost more interested in those things than I am that you spent five years at a company that's may or may not be in the same space. I would love to see changes in the way we hire in general in the new AI-enabled world in, in CX roles specifically. One thing that I think is a great idea that I was talking to another leader about recently is the idea of job descriptions not even really focusing on title and focusing more on the types of tasks and projects that this role will be expected to complete. Yeah. And then get people to, to tell us why that's interesting to them, how they might solve those types of things, what they would think about, because that's what you want. And then once you find that person, you can then figure out what the title means. Are they more of a product manager than they are of a support rep? Are they more of a success person, support person, implementation? You can play with the role as long as the projects get done. I would agree. Hiring is so tough. And the cover letter thing, obviously, we're all witnessing the tech layoffs. So I don't know if the idea of cover letters can completely go away right now, just because it is a big differentiator. Like I would still recommend people write cover letters. I would not recommend they have ChatGPT write them at least <laughs> Maybe utilize it as a starting point, but it's good to, you know, add some personality to the cover letter and it doesn't have to be this long five paragraph kind of thing, but you do want to in, in some ways indicate to a company what excites you about them. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. So I, I think that the hiring thing needs to be revamped. There has to be some overhaul in the industry of hiring. I've spoken with a support leader at Automatic and for their support role, all their support is done through chat. It's mm -hmm. all typing. There's no, no phone support. And they do all their interviews only through chat. And the reason is, is because it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter if you have an accent. It doesn't matter where you're sitting. It only matters that you can communicate complex ideas through chat. So why not just do the entire interview process through chat? Because that way, if you can succeed there, then you uh, then you you can definitely do the job. And I was like, that's to me is a brilliant idea, right? Why are we why are we asking people about the skills that they have versus actually making them do the skills? That actually is a really good idea for that <laughs> specific product. I honestly would just love to see the grading rubric on that, though. Like, how do they grade the interview? I don't know. That, that's very interesting. For me, my personal preference is to emphasize empathy over, over even technical skills when making hiring decisions. And I, I don't mean to imply that individuals with technical skills are not important. They definitely are. But in customer support, empathy is just, to me, absolutely critical. And when a customer support agent has a high level of empathy, they're usually just more invested in improving the product and providing feedback as a stakeholder because maybe they're tired of having these less than ideal engagements with customers. You know, of course, everyone kind of has their own hiring strategy. I find the chat interview strategy, again, very interesting. And again, would love to see that grading rubric. 
But um, I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. However, one thing is personality tests like the Meyer Briggs. Those those got to be done away with. They got to die. Yep, I agree. It goes back to the horoscope comment I made earlier. Where there's just a lot of generalisms. You know, it's interesting. I want to pick up on something you said there, the empathy piece, right? And so think about that. You, your main focus is empathy, and I, and I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. What if AI could be trained to tell you between X number of candidates who is, quote unquote, the most empathetic? Whatever, however it is trained to do that, would you trust that? Or do you think the human element is important? Um, it, it's one of those things, you know, there, there are certain things in my work that I'm hesitant to outsource to even other people because I, I rely on my gut feeling for making certain decisions. Some would say that might make me a micromanager, but being a manager comes down to allocating your resources and time correctly. And things like hiring, especially when you have a small team, you've got to allocate your time to that. I guess it I guess it would all depend on how the AI was trained. But for me, I just like to ask pretty simple questions during the interview process to gauge their empathy levels. Like an example might be describe a situation where you had a poor customer service experience and explain what you would have done differently. Like that's a super simple and common question. But for me, depending on how they answer that, if if they start going off saying how they would have built XYZ feature into the product, those kind of things miss the mark for me. It's one thing to be upset about how a certain feature doesn't exist, but I want to know how you thought the company could have communicated it better. Because in reality, we can't build every single feature every single customer once, but we can always communicate better. It's not just the questions. It's several other things, but that's just an example. While it might not be the most effective or efficient method, it, it's more of a vibe that I, I pick up on. Therefore, I guess I would be a little skeptical about relying on AI to provide me, you know, with a ranking of candidates and, and their empathy levels. What's your take on this? Well, I mean, I don't I don't know if I have an answer. I, I think that depending on how the AI was written and trained, it might remove some biases that, that we all have. So maybe there's some benefit to it, or at least it's a gut check on why you thought someone had the best vibes, right? I, <laughs> But I don't really have an answer. It's one of those thought exercises that I just think is interesting in our new world. You know, AIs are still in, in many ways deterministic, or at least today's AIs. And so it, someone at some point will have to teach a Tesla that if there's some critical failure with the brakes and the options are to stop the car by crashing into a a telephone pole and potentially killing the driver or to go down a busy street potentially killing other people which should it choose and it's it's like so first off would you buy a car that's programmed explicitly to kill you right you know the telephone pole example or would you buy a car that's programmed to potentially hurt other people but ultimately someone is going to have to make that decision my thought process on AI is it really depends on how it's written, how it's trained, and and what comes out of it. Again, my example from the YouTube clip I mentioned, where is a backwards three still a three to the AI? Mm-hmm. Should it be or shouldn't it be? There is no right, right answer to that. It's a philosophical question of how do you want to define a three? And you could define very rightly, a three is not a three if it's backwards. 
some other shape if it's bad. <laughs> now, my son, who's learning to write numbers, would disagree with you because he writes his threes backwards all the time. But that's that's the human element. And, and so I, I don't know if there are answers to these questions. I think it's just interesting to think about the implications of someone automatically making these decisions without human input. That's That's the interesting thing in this space to me. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. These are really interesting thought exercises. And uh, I, truthfully, I, I don't envy the people that eventually are going to have to make these types of decisions. But you did mention Tesla. And um, so I wanted to know your opinion on Mr. Elon Musk's statement, who said that AI poses a greater risk to society than cars, planes, and medicine. And I mean, when you break down that sentence, I think those are very bizarre examples to use in relation to societal risks. But maybe I'm just naive. I don't know. It's Elon Musk is a very interesting character just in general. I mean, that's an interesting question because I, I mean, I would argue that AI in planes is already there. I mean, autopilot has been around for a couple of decades as far as I'm aware. I'm, so they already talk about how planes, not to discount the training of pilots, but they already talk about how planes relatively land themselves least in base condition. Are you saying that Captain Sully wasn't a hero? By the way, I haven't heard this quote, so so this is new to me, but interesting because I remember when Watson came out, which was the AI that beat Jeopardy, if you remember, uh, I don't remember how many years ago that was now, uh, probably what, 10 years ago? Maybe I'm unfamiliar with it actually. Oh, really? So IBM developed an uh, AI called Watson, and they played the AI against the best Jeopardy players, the Ken Jennings of the world, and he beat them all. The AI beat them in Jeopardy. And one that was really interesting at that time was that the AI could recognize the, the cultural things that are in Jeopardy. Like a lot of Jeopardy clues contain cultural idioms and, and acronyms and things that you know are hard for the human mind to comprehend sometimes if you don't, don't have it. But the AI was able to figure out those plays on words and answer questions. And that was big at that at the time. But one of the reasons why they made it so flexible was that the use case or one of the use cases for Watson was medicine. And again, this is before Alexa and Google Homes. Mm -hmm. They would put a speaker inside a doctor's office and the doctor could just say a bunch of symptoms or the patient could say their symptoms. And the AI could just take that naturally flowing language and, and idioms and the way we speak and turn that into a diagnosis and say, here's what I think the person has. And the idea was that the AI could be up to speed on all medical research globally at all times, whereas your average general practitioner obviously can't. Like, it's just not humanly possible to keep up with all that, that research. So I don't know, I, that statement to me, can AI have a detrimental effect on society? Yeah. I mean, we saw that I think it was Microsoft that launched their AI on Twitter and within 24 hours, it had picked up a bunch of racist phrases and, and things that, that made it obviously very not pleasant um, and they had to take it down. So that's pretty detrimental if all of a sudden AI becomes the, the thing that delivers our news. Like what what is it bringing to us in our news? What biases is it bringing into it? Um, but I don't think it's going to be detrimental to, to our day-to-day -day lives in, in that sense of airplanes and health and, and other things. Yeah, I think it's just Elon Musk being Elon Musk, but he's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's, he's very, he speaks in facts, you know? Well, it's he's, the confidence he's, thing. Right. Yeah, it's well, it's the histrionic personality disorder thing. <laughs> like, sorry, I, I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk, if you can tell. Anyways, um, 
Thanks so much, Craig, for coming on. This was a really fun conversation, and I hope that you can come back on later. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, and yeah, love this topic, so thanks, uh, thanks for including me. We're going to have a good time. Always. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Startup Smoothie Podcast. For more information about improving your CX through Partner Hero services, please visit partnerhero.com. Additionally, you can find more insightful content from Craig at stas.ca. Tune in next week for our conversation with Mel Dalton, a professional and organizational coach, as we discuss the role of self-awareness and emotional intelligence in the workplace and how it translates into providing effective customer support. As always, you're not going to want to miss it.